Welcome to Bible study. It's uh, good to see you all tonight. Gathered to hear and to read and to learn and to receive more about God, more about Jesus. And so we're going to take some time tonight to look into the Bible and see what God might have to say to us. I'll take a few moments and pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, we thank You for Your presence. We thank You, God, that even as we gather in the name of Jesus, You are here with us, right in the middle of us. And so, we thank You for that. We thank You for Your love tonight. We thank You for Your patience. We thank You, God, for Your long-suffering. We thank You for the opportunity to grow and to change and to really uh, mature into the people that you desire us to be. And so tonight I pray that we'll take a step in that direction. I pray, Father, that uh, our hearts would be challenged tonight. I pray some of our ideas would be challenged tonight. And I really ask you, God, that uh, you would raise up in us uh, a certain degree of ruthlessness when it comes to the things that oppose you in our lives. So I just ask you, God, that uh, we would be responsive to your word tonight, responsive to your Holy Spirit. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. Dot com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study or maybe you have a comment or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Before we turn to the scripture, just want to let you know that our friend Kalen, who is a missionary in Thailand, had emergency surgery today. Uh, she was uh, taken to the hospital and had her appendix removed. The old-fashioned way, where they cut you open and they remove it, not the arthroscopic way that is more preferred these days. And so she is in the hospital currently. Uh, She's out of surgery. She's awake uh, in the hospital. Uh, She figures she's there for one to three days of recovery and then uh, may be able to go home and finish her convalescence there. So uh, just keep her in prayer. Uh, hospitals are notoriously dirty places. I know that doesn't make any sense to most people, but they are. Um, 
diseases and germs and all kinds of stuff live in hospitals. And so uh, just be in prayer for for God's protection, His healing, and uh, quick recovery. So uh, if you have any questions, you can ask me afterwards. I just about told you everything I know right then. Though, so, uh, but she is awake, she's out of surgery, and is feeling okay, she said. So, whatever that means. So, just keep her in prayer. Appreciate it. Alright, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, chapter 10. 2 Kings, chapter 10. We do want to encourage some of our listeners, especially our overseas listeners, to drop us a line on the SpeakPipe, uh, information that was just given, and I just encourage you, just, it could be anything, it could be a question, it could be comment, something good God's doing in your life, but we'd love to hear from you. Even if you just say hi and tell us where you're from, uh, we'd appreciate that. Second Kings chapter 10, I need a volunteer to read verse 27. 2 Kings 10.27 They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal. And people have used it for a latrine to this day. Amen. <laughs> okay. Uh, what we're looking at tonight is, I just want to encourage you that, uh, I want to encourage you to check your hearts, check yourselves tonight. Uh, we know the heart is deceitful above all things. Prophet Jeremiah talked about that. Who can know it? Well, God can know it. And I think sometimes it's healthy for us to check ourselves, see where we're at in certain areas of our life, but to uh, make sure we're checking ourselves more often probably than we are. Uh, to be sincere with God. Uh, he's, he's the one you can be the most sincere with. And here's how I want you to think about that. He already knows. Right, your sincerity with God is an exercise for you. It's an exercise on your part to be sincere with Him. And in regards to the fact that He already knows, it's a good exercise for us to actually speak plainly with God and actually take some time to be honest with Him. Uh, in our day and age that we live in, honesty is somewhat of a rare commodity. And even in a private, personal conversation, uh, sometimes we find it difficult to be just open and honest, to be vulnerable. Well, because God already knows, uh, He's the perfect opportunity for us to practice that. He's the perfect opportunity for us to admit what's going on. And there's something healthy about that. There's something really healthy about just being honest, being vulnerable, being open with our God. And the reason we do it isn't for Him, it's for us. And so that uh, we can practice that and we can live that, even in that one area of our life. And I think it pays off in other areas of our life too. But uh, it, I want to encourage you to check yourself tonight. Check your sincerity. Check that you're seeking Him, really, in your life. That, that you're not really seeking the approval of the people around you. You're not seeking some kind of a weird 
uh, goal or something, that arbitrary thing that you set for yourself or whatever it could be, but just really finding yourself seeking God and Him alone. And and so I want you to think about those things. I want you to check yourself a little bit with those tonight as we go through some of the teaching, some of the study that we have going on here. Now, as described in the verse, pretty simple verse, uh, Baal's temple uh, was being demolished. Uh, the temple, they don't know exactly who the temple was dedicated to. The idea is that there was a big uh, image outside the temple, in front of the temple of Baal, and it could have been something as simple as a stone pillar, uh, some type of a cone that was set up outside of the temple. The reason they believe it was stone or metal is because it couldn't be burned. Uh, they were in the habit of taking the gods, the Asherah poles, or taking the, the false gods that they would find in the land and they just burn them. They completely destroy them. Well, this was something that had to be broken to pieces. And so the idea behind it is that it was probably something stone that was set up outside of this particular temple. And likely, if it followed the pattern of other uh, images of Baal, it was likely just a stone pillar that was shaped somewhat like a cone and would rise up out of the earth, and that would be representative of Baal. Uh, if you know any of the history of Baal, Baal's common god of that time, false god of that time. And uh, the worship of Baal was appealing to people because the worship of Baal also involved other things. And not to get too much into the other things that it involved, but... There were other practices, there were other um, things that people would engage in when they would worship Baal. Uh, most of them were sensual, most of them had something to do with satisfying some physical want that people have, uh, whether it's eating or drinking or drunkenness, or whether it had to do with sexual wants or whatever it was. The idea behind it was that people had the impression that, well, we can just do whatever we want if we choose to worship Baal. And so there was something attractive about that, and so they went out to do that, and so you find Israel falling into sin over and over and over again, worshiping these false gods, whether it was an Asherah pole, whether it was Baal in particular, whoever it was. And so as it's happening here, there's a cleansing, there's a reformation taking place in the land that uh, God spoke, people heard him, people looked around, they said, okay, well, what do we need to do? And they began to rid the land of the pollution of what they were finding. Uh, the pollution being these temples, the pollution being these images, the pollution being the acts that the people were engaging in, uh, unhealthy things, things that were hurting people, things that were causing division, things that were destroying families things that were destroying worship of the true God, things that were destroying breaking down their society. That's what they were seeing. That's what they were experiencing. And so there was some type of an awakening in the land which happened from time to time and a reformation that took place in the land where they began to destroy these things, began to knock them down, began to put them and to destroy them and put them into pieces. Now Baal 
happened to represent the image that was worshipped more than the rest. Now, I never really had a good concept of this kind of idol worship until I went to West Africa. Uh, everything that I knew about idol worship in my mind took place in the past. In other words, it was something that mankind went through at one point and then outgrew or something and then people don't do that anymore and I was really mistaken. There is still something that is appealing to us in the year 2021 that was appealing to people in the year 21, 2,000 years ago, or 3,000 years ago, or 4,000 years ago. There is something in us that is appealing, that, that we find that appealing. And whether it be the idea of the, the sensual side of it, doing what we want, whatever the idea behind it is, human beings in their base nature find it appealing to worship in such a way. Uh, watching people in West Africa and Senegal in particular worshiping in this way is just uh, it's, it's fascinating and it was completely and utterly surprising to me. I remember doing conferences over there when we were first heading over to uh, West Africa and one of the, the leaders in the church asked me if I could uh, speak on idol worship. Now, our concept of idol worship in our society is, you know, don't watch too much TV or something. You've all heard probably teachings, some of you have heard teachings on that, where they equate idol worship with some other activity, like watching television or so, some other activity that people engage in. Or, and, I, and TV was a big one, or music was a big one when I was a young Christian and the people would talk about idol worship, they'd bring those in. And so we have these modern takes on what it looks like. And yet, he was talking about, the leader in the church who was talking to me, was talking about literal idol worship, where animals are sacrificed. The blood of animals are, is, is, is let, and, and people actually dance and, and carry on as they worship these stone carvings, or these wooden carvings, at these altars that they have, which they call you know, the fetish sites. I mean, it's a literal thing. There's a priesthood that oversees this type of worship. Talking to a guy when we were there one time, uh, he was talking how he lived in Brooklyn, and he had moved to Brooklyn to make money for his family, and he was back in the village when we were talking to him, uh, building a house for his family because he had worked in, in New York and, and gathered enough money to go back and, and build a big house for his family, but he was telling us that even in Brooklyn that he participated regularly in this type of worship, that they would take a, an old warehouse and they would turn to a place where they would sacrifice animals and they would participate in this type of idol worship in Brooklyn, New York, America, and described being a part of that and being a part of that type of worship. So, I, I only say all of that in that I know we're reading the Bible and this passage of Scripture is a few thousand years old and and like I said, I had the idea, well, we had kind of passed by this as a people and grown and we'd become something else. Well, that's just not the case. That literally there are people that still engage in this type of idol worship. Literally there are people that still engage in this type of false god 
worship and bloodletting and animal sacrifice and all the things that went along with this. All the sensual things, the feasting, the drinking, the drug type things, the sexual parts of it, that they still engage in these things because there is something appealing about it. So I'll stop that right there. So Baal happened to be most representative, and really that image would be just the image of idol worship. And that's what they were trying to rid the land of. That's what they were trying to cleanse the land of. And so he, Baal was the chief image that was worshipped more than others, and so in a sense he was representative of the rest. And so the Bible tells us in this passage that, that they destroyed, they broke it to pieces. And we get the idea as you read this, this part of Scripture that they destroyed this pillar, this image that was representative of Baal, and they broke it into pieces, but the temple itself, there are at least some portions of the temple building that were left standing as a reminder, as a solemn warning. How do we know that? Well, we know that because they turned it into a toilet. That's how we know. That they left a portion of the building standing as a reminder and as a warning, don't do this again. Don't engage in this behavior again. Don't find yourself worshiping these false gods again. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, this was a pattern for them, is that they would worship God and there would be a, quite a number of years they'd be worshiping God and they would hold on to it and hold on to it and hold on to it. And then after a certain number of years, they would begin to slip and they'd begin to fall back into this area of idol worship. And one of the main reasons and one of the main ways that they would slip and fall back into it is because they had intermarried with the people. And when they intermarried with the people of the land, those people of the land were already idol worshipers. And so what they would do is they would kind of draw the people of Israel into idol worship through marriage and through the, the marriage relationship. Because you can have influence over people in a marriage relationship. And they would have influence over the people that they were marrying and be brought. You think about the person with the strongest belief system. Alright? And then that usually prevails. Whatever that belief system is. And so what that tells us is that this was a pretty strong belief system among the people that lived in the land. And because it was such a strong belief system, sometimes it overpowered the belief system of the people that were there, the people of God. And so they would fall into this over and over and over again. Well, in this particular case, they decided they're going to leave this as a, what did your Bible say, Kim? A latrine. Yeah, or a public toilet. Now, I'll have you turn somewhere. You could turn to Matthew uh, fifteen seventeen. Matthew fifteen seventeen, And this will give you a good picture of the words they use here. Anybody want to read that? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? All right. Now, do you know how that works? We know how that works, right? You eat something, 
It just doesn't disappear. All right? That there's a waste product that's produced from it, and then we dispense with the waste product. That's what's being described here. And so what's being described in this passage back in 2 Kings is the idea of the public toilet, the dunghill. But even more than that, that this is the place where people went to go poo. And this was utter, utter desecration. All right, so any of the true believers that were left, any of the Baal true believers, they had to see that temple was utterly desecrated on the regular by people who would use that as a public toilet. In other words, they didn't care. That there was a reformation that took place in their hearts and in their lives where this thing that they had worshipped, this thing that they had made sacrifice to, this thing that they had participated in with, no longer. They destroyed it. And not only did they destroy it, and this is the part I really want you to kind of take to heart, not only did they destroy it, they turned it into a toilet. That's the ultimate desecration. They didn't leave it holy. They didn't just destroy it. They utterly desecrated it. And if you think that was rude, you're wrong. And that I want to challenge in you. Because it's not rude. It's not rude. It's the appropriate, fitting insult for what that is. And as I said at the beginning, I want you to start thinking about your life. I want you to start thinking about the things that you put up with. I want you to start thinking about the things that you allow to coexist in your heart and in your mind and in your daily life. You allow them to coexist with the living God of the universe. I really want you to think about it. Things that distract you. Things that occupy your brain space. Things that cause you to live in fear or things that cause you to live in, in a way that is, is really counterintuitive to living with God. I want you to think about it. Because it's those things in our life that we seem to struggle with that in a strong moment will say, yeah, well, I'm leaving that behind. Okay, that was a good strong moment. But then you don't leave it behind. Well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear it up, whatever it is. So it will never tempt me again. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, you can find another one, right? You can find a replacement. You can build a replacement. You can make a replacement. You can fashion a replacement. See, that that's not the answer either because then you find yourself back in it. What this verse tells us is that their strategy, the strategy that they employ here, wasn't to utterly destroy the thing, but it was to turn it into something 
that it would be a constant warning and a constant reminder and they were to utterly desecrate it on the regular so they wouldn't go back to it. And I don't know if you can see the wisdom in that, but I pray you can. I pray you can see the wisdom in what they did here. They turned this temple where they used to worship into a common sewer. Nobody worships at the sewer. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody worships at the sewer. And when I say nobody, I'm not talking about some stray weirdo that maybe worships at a toilet or something. I, let's not talk about that. I'm saying nobody with their sense about them worships at the sewer. And so we need to find a place in our life, a ruthless place in our life, to bring forth a fitting insult, a fitting desecration to the things in our life that we need to leave behind. We need to find a way to do it. And I want to encourage you toward that. I want to encourage you towards finding that fitting insult for those things in your life, that fitting desecration for those things in your life, that utter desecration that needs to take place if you're really serious about not worshiping at that altar again. You follow me? Are you following what I'm saying or not? Okay. So, so it's taking it a step further. Now, I hesitate to say this because I know that people listening to this that don't know me. But I'm going to say it. There are times, if you've ever been on a mission trip with me, there are times I will disappear. Maybe not disappear all the way, but kind of disappear and walk around a corner or something at certain places that we're visiting to pray. Because I'm going to utterly desecrate that place. And I believe in it. I believe in it. I'm not afraid of it. I don't fear it. I don't care. I do know it's a lie. And I do know it's wrong. And I do know that it's deception. And I don't want any part of it. And so I treat it for what it is. And that's just the bottom line. And... You know what? Over the years, I've had people that have been on these trips with me. I, I remember I was uh, down in New York one time, and I was in this. I was at a Catholic university, standing in a Buddhist temple. And you all know this university, St. John's University, in Queens, New York, and we were praying. At St. John's, we're praying over the campus. And I went about my business at the Buddhist temple in St. John's. And I got judged for it. Okay. I can handle that. I can handle it. And when I'm talking about this, I'm using like really like real things, like I'm at a place and this is what happened. But I'm using it as an example 
that we need to turn that toward our own lives and say, what is there in our life that we need to really deal with? What is there in our life that we really need to take care of? What is there in our life that we're tired of just playing with and, and yo-yoing about over and over? I'm, I'm not into it. I'm into it. I don't like it. I like it. I'm not going to do this anymore. Oops, I did it. That we reach a point in our life where we're just sick of that. We reach a point in our life where we know what really needs to be done. We know what the decision is. Not because somebody else told us what the decision was, because we know what the decision is. And then we need to take care of some business. And I mean take care of some business. And deal with things in such a way that we're not going to go to the sewer to worship. Whatever that's going to mean in our life. I don't know what that means to you. I know what it means to me. I know what needs to happen in my life when it's time to really deal with something. Because I'm not going to go back to the sewer. I'm not going to go down to the sewer to worship. I'm not going to go back to the things that have been utterly desecrated, utterly insulted in my life, utterly put to shame. I'm just not going to do it. And so we need to begin a process, a process of getting free. And one of the ways that we can get free is by taking seriously that we have an opportunity to not only knock something down, not only break it to pieces, but maybe leave a reminder a nasty, dirty, terrible, stinky reminder that I'll never worship there again, ever. Not just because I say it, because I've left a reminder there. So I'm not sure if I'm uh, disgusting anybody. Yeah. But there's some disgusting things that we engage in, aren't there? And they need to be treated as such. Let me look at Ezra 6.11. You see other examples in the scriptures of things like this. This idea of utter destruction. Ezra 6.11. taking place after Israel is taken captive by the Chaldeans. Seventy years they were put into slavery in Babylon. And after seventy years they were allowed to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple. Ezra reads the law because this is what God expects. They were shocked because they'd never heard the law before. 
And so they said they'd do it. And so Ezra drives it home a little more in this verse. It's like, you need to do this. If you don't, I'm going to pull a beam out of your house, impale you on it, and your whole house is going to fall down. Get to it. Now, doesn't that seem extreme? Sort of? Doesn't that seem extreme? It seems extreme, right? Well, he went to extreme measures and they went to extreme measures because what happened was is that they had been taken captive for 70 years because they just couldn't seem to get it right. They couldn't seem to follow what God had for them. They couldn't seem to just obey what the Holy Spirit was saying. They couldn't seem to even listen to the prophets. They couldn't seem to do anything except for what they wanted to do. And so they just ran off doing whatever they wanted to do. And half of them were married to people they shouldn't have been married to. Half of them were doing things, engaging in activities they shouldn't have been engaging in. And so Ezra, you know, as he read the law, he's like, well, here's what God expects. And they were shocked. And so he says something that seems really extreme. He says, this is what's going to happen if you, if you don't keep it. If you don't do it. He put himself in a really negative situation and those people were in a really negative situation. Why? Because they didn't want to go back to Babylon. They didn't want to go into captivity again. They just got their freedom. And he's saying, this is how we're going to stay free. So do it. Took it seriously, I guess. He took it seriously. Kind of interesting that children of Israel never went back into idolatry again. Not like that. They never found themselves in that same place again. Something happened. It changed the way they saw things. changed the way that they went about things. and changed the expectations that they had over themselves, over their children. And over those that would come after them, generation to generation, something changed in their heart and changed in their mind. We need that. We need that. So then, somebody look at Daniel 2.5. Daniel 2.5. Okay. So this is after Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he was greatly disturbed by the dream. And so he called his best dream interpreters that were part of the Chaldeans, part of the Babylonians, and they were great astrologers, great dream interpreters, they're magicians, they're people that performed kind of weird signs, wonders, whatever. And he told them, he said, hey, I want to know what my dream means. And so they're like, all right, well, tell us the dream, oh, great one. And he's like, no. You tell me the dream. 
you tell me the dream and you tell me what it means. And they're like, we can't do that. That's impossible. How are we going to tell you your dream? And how are we going to tell you what it means? That can't even can't be done. And this was his response to that. This is impossible. Well, if you don't, you're going to be torn limb from limb and we're going to destroy your house. Okay, chop, chop. Get to work. Great. Now we know, and if you read the rest of that, Daniel comes along, old Belteshazzar comes along, and uh, he, he not only tells him his dream, he interprets it for him, uh, because God revealed it to him. You see, the, the great answer, I just gave everybody a thumbs up. The great answer to everything I'm talking about here is what we talk about all the time. I just want to put it in context. I want you to hear me. The great answer to what I'm talking about tonight is the Spirit of God in our lives. That's the great answer. That it, the impossible, the impossible is done by the Spirit of God. The impossible is done through a mustard seed of faith. Mountains are moved. The fig tree is dried up. Lives are changed. People are set free. Demons are cast out. The sick are made whole. The blind see. The deaf hear. The lame walk. You see, the impossible happens with the Spirit of God. And, 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 that's, and that's God's message to you and to me. And, and you know what? I, I preach that. I speak that. I pray over people for the Spirit of God. I pray God fills us with His Holy Spirit. I believe all of those things. I do. And those things in your life that need to stop, those things in your life that you can't control, those things in your life that are ruling over you, those addictions, those, uh, those compulsions that are part of your life, those habits that have taken over your life, you can be set free. You can be set free. But what I'm trying to get to in us, in you, I got this. All right? Not saying I, I'm perfect. I, I mean, I got this part of it, this little part of it. You ready? You need to be, have a ruthlessness about you. A ruthlessness. And in somewhere in every human being, there's a little bit of ruthlessness. We have it. You have it. And you need to direct it in the right direction in your life. We are not the apex predator of this planet without having a little bit of ruthlessness in our DNA. And make no mistake, we are the apex predator. People say, well, what about the dinosaurs? Yeah, what about them? I don't see any dinosaurs, do you? What dinosaurs? What dinosaurs? I see all of you, though. Huh. Kind of a dumb question. What about the dinosaurs? Hope it don't get cold, I guess. I don't know. 
So, you need to take that ruthlessness that's in every one of us. I mean, every one of us. And direct it the right way. We're not directing it toward each other. We're not directing it out at those people out there don't like us or those people out there don't know us or those people out there that cut us off in traffic or those people out there can't wait to turn the four-way stop or those people out there that honk their horn for no reason at us or those people out there, whatever. And I know I'm using examples because all that stuff happens, but we're not directing that ruthlessness at them. So where do we direct it? Why don't we direct it at our enemies, our real enemies that are spiritual? Why don't we direct it at the destruction that they're trying to bring into our lives. Why don't we direct it at those habits? Why don't we direct it at those compulsions? Why don't we direct it at those addictions that are in our lives? Why don't we direct a certain degree of ruthlessness toward that evil that is in our heart? Because idolatry, in whatever form it's going to take, needs to be rooted out of us. And that's going to require a certain degree of ruthlessness to see it happen. It doesn't just happen by itself. Because you're coddling it. Because you're making space for it. You're allowing it. I know you don't want to hear that. Oh, Andy, you don't know how I've struggled. I, you're right, I don't. Oh, Andy, you don't know how I fought against this. You're right, I don't. But if it's still there, if it's still there, you need to bust it to pieces, light it on fire, and then bury it in separate holes. There's a certain amount of ruthlessness that's in you, and you direct it at the things that are hurting you, the things in your heart. And so that's really what I, I'm talking about tonight is that you take hold of a, a, a check on yourself. That you begin to check yourself and you begin to see these areas and you begin to see these places that are hurting you. That are hurting the people around you. That you're not quite being honest about. You're not quite being sincere with God about. And find those places and just be honest with God. He knows they're there already. You're being honest with God for you. To be honest with God. And say, i got these areas in my heart. i got these areas in my life. And they're leading me astray. There's nothing in you that can't be taken care of. There's no addiction... There's no addiction in you that can't be taken care of. There's no compulsion. There's no habit that you have in your life that can't be taken care of with a little bit of ruthlessness on your part. Because sometimes you just got to bust something up. Sometimes you just got to burn it to the ground. Sometimes you just got to take that stronghold, leave, leave a little piece of it up, and turn it into a toilet to remind you never, ever to worship again at that place. That's pretty ruthless. That's pretty cold-hearted. Good. Good. Don't go back there. Don't go back there. 
and put yourself in a position where you can make an easier decision later. The Spirit of God wants to lead you into freedom tonight. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to live in a liberty in your life. That's His desire for you. That's His will. And all He's waiting on is for you to take care of what you need to take care of in your heart. The coddling, the excuses, making room for it, whatever it is. You to take care of that. He wants to give you some strength. He wants to give you some wisdom. He wants to give you some forgiveness and cleansing. He wants to set you free and He wants you to live free. He wants you to have an abundance in your life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is a liberty. The Bible tells us that. We know that. And the answer to it is the Spirit of God. Daniel understood that. Do the impossible. I'm going to rip you to shreds. Well, God, yeah, I got the answer. Spirit of God. Telling the dream and the interpretation. That's right. Got the answer. The impossible. And so I encourage you tonight to do your part. What's your part? Ruthless. What's your part? Destroy the idols. Whatever that means to you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna proclaim TV's the idol. I'm not going to pro- proclaim video games the idol. I'm not going to proclaim music the idol. I'm not going to proclaim uh, whatever it would be the idol. I'm not going to proclaim any of those things as the idol. I don't know what the idol is. But you need to examine your heart. You need to check yourself. You need to be honest with God. You need to be honest with yourself. And find those areas where you're not seeking only Him. They're starting to take up your brain space, your mind space, your heart space, your spirit space. And we gotta deal with it and bust it up. Turn it into a toilet. I hope you can I hope that image stays with you. I hope it stays with you. Turn it into a latrine. And don't go back. take a few moments to pray and I just want to encourage you as we're praying that you respond yeah don't tell anybody about what I did at St. John's I'll get in trouble I know I didn't tell you exactly what I did but you don't need to know that Heavenly Father I just ask that you would help us to take a look tonight to examine ourselves. I pray you'd help us to really take a look inwards. And I pray you'd bring us to a place of real honesty and sincerity, simplicity with you tonight. No matter where we're sitting here, doesn't matter. I pray that we'd have a heart-to-heart with you over the next few moments about some areas of our life that we just really need to talk to you about areas of compromise or areas where 
we don't really have you in focus, and we're not we're not really seeking you completely. Areas that have overtaken parts of our brain space or parts of our heart space or spirit space that really they shouldn't be overtaking at all. It might be habits, or it might be compulsions, or it could be uh, addictions in our life. But to be honest about it, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. This is what's happening now. So I pray that we can be just honest with you. Let me give you these next couple minutes just to talk to you. Just to say what we need to say. So as you're sitting there, I just encourage you, you know, nothing out loud, just between you and God, your heart, his heart. But just talk to him honestly about some things. I mean, because that is the first step is being sincere. That is the first step is being honest. And like I said, that's for you, not for him. He already knows. But it's, it's your opportunity to exercise the sincerity. It's your opportunity to exercise an honesty with him. And even as you're you're just being honest with him and telling him where you're at, I want to encourage it that um, he's leading us to destroy some things in our life. Those things we coddle and those things that we make room for that are really destructive and hurtful toward us and others. And I'm going to call on a ruthlessness in you to be properly directed at those strongholds and those fortresses and those little houses that you have in your life that are housing these destructive thoughts to just break them to pieces and burn them down. Say, God, unleash that in us. Unleash that in our lives. Unleash that ruthlessness in our hearts to tear it down. And I pray, God, for those stubborn things, those things that keep coming back, and those things that keep coming back, and those things that keep coming back, that you'll just give us wisdom on how to just utterly desecrate that thing how utterly to uh, make it a common sewer so that we never go back there to worship again I pray insult on top of insult to those strongholds in our lives So, Spirit of God, I thank you that you're God of liberty. That you're here right now. You're right here. And where your Spirit is, there is a liberty. I pray, God, that you'd fill your people and that we would seize that liberty tonight. Seize it. Take hold of it. Take hold of it. 
to your life. Seize that liberty in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for opportunity to be free. Thank you for opportunity to live freely. Thank you for opportunity to live in a liberty to, to really enjoy our lives. I pray, God, that as we are set free and we continue to be set free, you would teach us to enjoy our days more, enjoy our life more, I pray that you would lift our heads, you would lift our eyes in the days and the weeks ahead. I pray for a freedom to ring in our ears. And I pray, God, for just your Holy Spirit to continue his work of setting us free, his work of making us stronger, his work of seeing the supernatural take place in front of us, his work, God, of, of liberty and freedom, his work. just being made more and more mature and more and more like Jesus. Give you thanks tonight. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for caring for us. Thanks for wanting the best for us. God, I thank you for wanting us free. I pray we wouldn't fight against you, but we'd embrace what you have for us. I pray for a an honest vision for our lives as we examine ourselves. Give you thanks. We'll give you praise. We ask these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. I ask you by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.